Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, October 20th. And, John, it is officially, as always at this time in November, it is it is officially game week. The season is upon us. Can you believe it? Wow. No, it's been a long, <laughs> winding road. Here we are. <laughs> In, indeed. Um, I, like, I got to, I'll just come up, come clean and be like, you know, up front with everybody and say that I'm not going to lie. Part of me was really enjoying an MSU free fall. Like, I obviously love Michigan State sports quite a bit. Uh, but the, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, hey, not, stressing out over football is is kind of a really nice feeling you know the lions took all of my uh ability to care away very early in their season so um mm-hmm. i've just been kind of coasting the last six weeks and now here we're, we're it's it's like remembering the final is next week and you're like oh man i haven't studied at all <laughs> yeah you you i would say triggered me um <laughs> yesterday <laughs> When you mentioned that it was uh, game week, and I was having such a nice time, I know, um, with my week weekend fall days, and here we are, we're back, back to sports, back to um, cracking open beers at nine a.m. to be not because we want because to, you have to because you have to shower beers are back in play, um, it's on and it's been like you man it's. It's October, mid-October. We're going to be playing our first yeah. game here. Um, and then, and then, you know, just when you think you're in the clear Saturday evening, then it's Michigan week. It's <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just fast. Fast and furious. It's, it's, I'll put, it's a lot. I think, <laughs> that, lot. I think that's, that's one way to very fairly state it is that it's, it's a lot. I have to say, today you and I were talking, talking offline to use some business lingo about, um, the fact that we are, we were just talking about Michigan football and like, you know, cause we always kind of get ahead of ourselves and talk about, you know, what's that game going to look like? And usually like we're halfway through the season. We've got some idea of what the hell is going on. And this year is just, we're so woefully unprepared. Like I'm not ready to have those conversations yet. Like I'm just not like mentally. It's like I know what their team looks like. I have a pretty decent idea of what our team's gonna look like. And I'm just not prepared to think about those two things coming together and actually being like off a sheet of paper. I'm just 
I don't know that my mind nor my body is really ready for this fall. But, you know but we will we will persist. Regardless. You know what's awesome though, Austin? I, I stand by now that Michigan State has been removed from college football for you know seven weeks. I do enjoy. I've realized how much I enjoy the, the sport when yeah. I have no emotional taxed involvement. Like I've enjoyed watching some belt games more than I ever have before. The thing that I've missed the most though is watching other Big Ten teams. Like, yeah. I I love watching crappy Big Ten football and it's back, so let's do it. I also just love watching like I like having a level of interest in a game that doesn't directly affect me. So other Big Ten football is just so appreciated. Because at yep. the end of the day there there are some stakes there, no question. But they're not the stakes that you have to deal with emotionally when watching your own team. So that's a very astute take and one that I I definitely agree with. So we do get those games back this week too. That is exciting. Um, before we dive into our preview and all of uh, the great things that we have prepared for this week, we are going to be uh, for the however many straight year wrapping up our position previews uh, that we do. And we are finishing with the secondary and special teams. It's not a coincidence that we've saved the punters for last, as you'll know about this podcast. We are we are pro punter. Pro. Um, but before we get to them, let's start with the secondary. Um, <laughs> the secondary is where you'll see, first and foremost, uh, some extremely familiar names from a coaching perspective. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of – this is an added element this year in, in, in these previews because of the amount of change that went on. With the coaches, but uh, two names, one old, one, well, kind of new, old yeah. but new, both reused, refurbished. Yeah. Um, those are the names that are going to be co- uh, coaching up the defensive backs this year. Uh, at Your cornerback coach is none other than Harlan Barnett, uh, former defensive coordinator for uh, Florida State, who by way of East Lansing, where he was formerly co-defensive coordinator, uh, with his new safeties coach partner, Mike Tressel, who was defensive coordinator just a year ago. Um, first thing that jumps out about these names is just familiarity and experience. I mean, I, I'm hard-pressed to imagine that, that there are many defensive staffs out there with the years of experience and familiarity with a, with a roster, with a program, with just the game of high-level college football uh, that these this duo brings to the table. So I think that alone is – it is just a big leg up for Michigan State and probably more than anything is really just going to help make this transition to a new scheme, a new group, a new everything, a new regime. Um, I, I would just think a lot smoother from, from a, from a transition perspective. Yeah. It's, it's a really big, we talked about this mid, or excuse me, in the summer, just about how the, the amount of defensive coordinator talent like the levels of guys who have, who have coached that at the highest level have been doing it, you know, that's going to pay dividends, I think, because they can take all that experience and channel into a, into a smaller group of guys. I think that's going to be really helpful, as you mentioned, especially during this transition. And I'm getting ahead of myself because um, we're going to talk about first week opponent in a bit, but it just seems relevant right now. You know, the names you mentioned, um, so much experience as defensive coordinators. They're going against 
uh, an offensive coordinator who has one year, I believe, of FBS experience as an offensive coordinator. So you got to feel good about just having seen some shit, man. You know, like <laughs> there's a lot of value in that. Um, there's value in going through it. There's no question. That's right. So, it, you know, these guys um, probably if you ask them where they thought they'd be in five years, five years ago, it wouldn't be in these positions. Um, but this is kind of the second wind come up for them. I think this is their reprieval opportunity uh, to help build Michigan state back up and maybe get further opportunities. Um, I don't know where, but, but I, I think that's how they're viewing it. Yeah. And, and it's exciting, you know, again, first time in a long time that MSU's had a new head man, but to have these names just for the transition is going to be going to be very important. And I think really what's, what says a lot about Michigan State as a school and a program and everything is that these guys are willing to take these positions. I mean, I, I would just think that ego alone is a big motivator for a lot of coaches, just people involved in football in general. And for these two to kind of these are two guys that we're talking about two, sitting here two years ago. Two years ago, you're talking about you had very real conversations about both these guys lead, not only like wanting to get promoted, but leaving Michigan State in order to take over their own programs. And now we're sitting here two years later, uh, and they're both just helping run the secondary, which is one of the units that I think is going to need kind of like the most help, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Let's and, talk about yeah, let's let's dive in. So um, I think first and foremost, people probably want to know about scheme. Uh, so the scheme here, you know, is probably not going to be a whole lot different than than what you've seen before. But you know, which is just high press man. Um, but I think the really interesting elements are going to be just how much these corners move around. I mean, one thing Mark D'Antonio never really liked to do was move his best corner around to match up with uh, another team's best receiver. That could be something that changes, not to say that we we know anything about right. who MSU's lockdown corner would be or anything like that, but that's a situation that could arise. MSU did never played really a tremendous amount of zone. We know Mel Tucker's defenses historically have been a little bit more multiple. Um, and with the star position being being a big, obviously portion of this defense, um, you know, how often do they go nickel and dime and take that position off the field or how do they uh, kind of intertwine with the linebackers and who's playing and covering and things like that. So a lot of questions, honestly, this is probably the area even more than the front seven that I think really the most questions probably, probably exist. Would you say? Yeah. I think the, the other <laughs> bummer about um, when you have a really weak position group or rather, unproven, I don't know if it's fair to say they're weak, yeah, we haven't seen it, um, but unproven group is you, you try and hide a little bit with the next position group, meaning, you know, linebackers, um, maybe you put, you lean a little harder on them for certain assignments, uh, more coverage linebackers as an example. Uh, that, as you listened in last week, very questionable position group as well. You know, like, so I guess if you're following what I'm saying, it's like you can kind of hide behind or or lean on other groups harder. This is not a situation where they can do that. They're really going to be out there on their own. And I think one of the more pressing parts of the puzzle is that I believe we talked about it either last week or the week before about the defensive line. 
having no pass pass rush to speak of, um, potentially that's going to put even more pressure on this these back four. You know, I but pressure makes diamonds, so uh, we'll see if these guys uh, are up to the task. I have a little uncertainty on who might be starting Austin, but you have you have a couple guesses. Yeah, so that is probably one of the bigger questions, but I think we can make some reasonable assumptions um, and, and kind of go off of those. So the, the two names that jump out at me and that you've kind of heard the most about are uh, Shaq Brown, Shakur Brown, and Julian Barnett. In terms, if if you're looking for odds on bets to to be your two starters, those those have got to be the guys. Uh, I mean, I think the fact that Julian Barnett has moved full time to DB says pretty much everything you need to know about his skill set because he was not out of place as a receiver as a true freshman last year. And that's a group again we've talked about it has a lot of talent, but it's very little proven talent. And with um with CJ Hayes going down and probably missing the year, uh that position group is is not overly deep and not overly experienced. All of that being said, Julian Barnett is no longer a part of that group and not intent not expected at least at this point from what I've seen to play both ways. Um, so having him on this group speaks to two things. One speaks to the fact that they really believe he's truly talented and two that this group needs him a lot more than those receivers do. So uh, got to think he's, he's uh, you know, top of the list here to be starters. I mean, he came in as one of the best recruits in the class last year. It's pretty obvious that he fits from a physical perspective. I mean, this is a kid that's obviously an athlete, play both sides of the ball. I'd be very surprised if he's not a starter, if he's healthy. Um, Shakur Brown, I think, brings something that MSU is just frankly really short on in this position, and that's experience. I mean, you know, his his play doesn't necessarily jump off the page, neither does his size, but he has played. And the names I'm about to read behind him are not guys that can say much of the same. Uh, so I think Shaq Brown is probably benefiting from um, a lot of PT last year. He did end up playing quite a bit down the stretch last year. So that's that's why he'd be my odds-on favorite there. Um, the other names that have jumped out, uh, the one that really I've actually read quite a bit about is Chris Jackson. So Chris Jackson, I believe, is just a sophomore, but um, he apparently has impressed quite a bit. He has pretty good size for his uh, position. I want to get his actual measurements here. Yeah, six foot listed at six foot, 200 pounds. Obviously that's a pretty, pretty decent size um, for a corner. Anything over six foot is, is, is really solid. And quickly to go back to Barnett, he's listed at six to one ninety. So you're talking about a prime physical like specimen yeah. there at the position, but Chris Jackson, again, he's, he's apparently impressed in, in, uh, in practice and really the other names on this list Davion Williams, Kalon Gervin, Dom Long. None of those are going to jump out at you as, as names that you've heard a ton about before. So uh, I'm inclined to believe that the hot hand is probably going to be the one that gets the crack here. Um, heard a lot about Chris Jackson. Dom Long, I think, is an interesting story, too, because he's been kind of the um, special teams ace, number nine, guarantee you, you have seen him running around and probably just don't even realize it. Um, but this kid is apparently made some big strides and uh, is probably going to be looked at here because the, the list of players with experience, again, is, is, is fairly short. Yeah. Um, before, but, before things get too bleak, I will note that <laughs> I, I think it's worth noting that there have been plenty of times, you know, while we've even done this podcast, 
but definitely within the last decade where we took a look at the secondary at Michigan State and said, yikes. And then the opposite, they over, over, you know, delivered, you know, there were, there are guys that just kind of out of nowhere, um, stepped up to the plate and, and became actually even all Americans. Now I'm not suggesting that that's going to happen this year. I'm just saying like it had, it's happened before and secondary is one of those positions where like a true freshman can just find his groove right away and become a three-year starter, you know, four-year starter. Um, Angelo Gross might be one of those guys, you know, uh, absolutely the kid from Ohio. So it's not all doom and gloom. It's just a lot of question marks, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I kind of touched on this last time, but like that is truly one of the things that makes these seasons like the most fun mm-hmm. and the most interesting is you get to watch these players blossom. And, and again, I don't mean to be terribly bleak, but there just is not a ton of experience here. Again, look at either side of that coin. On one side of that coin, that means, okay, you're going to see a lot of new faces. On the other side, it's, hey, these guys are getting a chance to emerge. And a guy like Angelo Gross, who enrolled early as a three-star from Ohio, uh, is going to have a chance to crack into this group. But I do think there's two other guys that came into MSG with decent pedigrees uh, and have, you know, uh, a real chance here, and that's Davion Williams and Kalon Gervin. Kalon Gervin specifically came in from Detroit Cast Tech with a ton of hype. I mean, he's he's your I mean, I still like him. He doesn't bring a ton of size to the party, but he knows the position. He's actually played a decent amount in his first two years. Um, he keeps getting banged up. He's got, you'll notice he looks like he's got a friggin' huge harness on that shoulder every single time. So he's gonna have to stay healthy in order to see the field. But if he does, um, he's going to have a chance. And then Davion Williams, another kid from the Belleville pipeline that brought Michigan State guys like Devontae Dobbs, Gabe Brown. I know I'm forgetting others. Um, there's several guys from that pipeline. He's uh, He brings good size at six foot, 180. He's going to have a chance to play as well. So I, I think this will be one of the positions where you see a lot of different guys early, like all seven of the dudes we just talked about, I expect to play in some way, shape, or form at, at corner. Uh, within the early part of the season. Yeah, yeah, and um, we have noticed that, well, this is an area that um, this new coaching staff has has hit the recruiting trail hard on, right? Um, yes. And, and are taking folks from all over the country, not just at cornerback, but um, at the safety position as well, because maybe we don't know where they're going to play. Uh, maybe no one knows, right? Um, but, but knowing that they – they have the the t- size and well definitely size. Uh, <laughs> talk to Fulton about that and t- to play maybe even more immediately, especially considering um, you know what you're looking at in the depth chart. But yeah, take us through some of these recruits we've seen come through. Yeah, so there's five call it defensive back recruits that MSU has um, landed in this upcoming recruiting cycle, and I wouldn't be shocked if they added one more to this group before it's all said and done. Um, but the names are as follows. I, and, and the reason why I want to read these all together is because it's, it's kind of hard to say which position they're going to end up at. I mean, you have guys listed at corner that end up playing receiver at that, you know, after the recruits. So um, it's they're all listed as defensive backs. I think you'll see a handful of them uh, stick there. Um, so at the top of the list is uh, Chuck Brantley. He's a four-star defensive back, highest rated of the group. From Florida, 
You've also got Javon Grigsby, three-star from Louisiana, and Antoine Booth, a three-star from, I believe, Ohio. Um, so he, th- these are three guys that are all listed at corner. Uh, when you look at them, you know, as in, in terms of size, you got a pretty good looking group. I mean, Charles Brantley's listed at 6'1, 170. Antoine Booth, a little smaller, 5'11, 165. And Grigsby, uh, is checking in at 6'185. So, you know, with the exception of maybe Booth, you're talking about guys that really fit that physical mold, uh, that it's pretty obvious Mel Tucker is looking for. And I do also think it's worth looking at, at the offer list that these guys had. Uh, again, if we go back to Brantley, you know, we're talking about a kid that had offers from, I'm just scrolling through the list here, Florida State, uh, Louisville, Maryland, Pittsburgh. He's had Rutgers, uh, Washington State, Virginia, South Florida. So, you know, a decent list, maybe not the most exciting you've ever seen, but some solid schools. And for MSU to go down to Florida and, and snatch up a four-star DB, uh, I think says a lot. And I think this probably has a lot to do with his relationship with Harlan Barnett because I know he did have a Florida State offer, and obviously HP just came from there. Uh, yep. Booth, who is actually from Hyattville, Maryland. He actually went to DeMath. He goes to DeMatha, which is where Darian Harris went to school. Uh, his list looks a little bit more Mac than anybody else's. His best offer is probably from West Virginia or Maryland. But again, listen, he was one of Mel Tucker's first commits committed all the way back on 420. Sweet. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> that's another good get. And then Grigsby, uh, has probably the most standout offers. I mean, he has an SEC offer in Vanderbilt, got an offer from Miami, Florida, Purdue. Uh, he also has another SEC offer from Auburn. Um, so MSU beating out those schools, especially for a kid from Louisiana is, is always a good, a good sign as well. Um, the recruits that are scheduled to play safety, and we will talk about that group a little bit more here in a second. Um, these are actually two of the more exciting guys in, in my mind that MSU has gotten. Uh, the first we'll talk about Michael Gravely Jr. He's from Euclid, Ohio. Uh, his list looks, I mean, I swear to God, almost identical to the list that MSU is always going up against. Cincinnati, yeah. Bowling Green, Boston College, Miami, Temple, Toledo, like all these weird Mac and uh, like lower P5 schools. The important one here is Colorado because that means he was offered by Mel Tucker uh, and obviously made him a priority when he came over to, to Michigan State. Um, but the most exciting of this group was really a surprise commit from last week in A.J. Kirk Jr. Now, he's listed as a three-star, but in reality, his offer list is much uh, much better than that of your average three-star. And, and the story behind it is actually really interesting. So apparently um, his sophomore year – he just kind of decided, I don't really want to do social media anymore. I think there may have been some type of, um, I don't know, some, some type of thing where he got in trouble and was like, you know what, this just isn't worth it. Uh, and so he checks in at 61197. But the last time anybody updated his school offer list was after his sophomore year. And obviously he's heading into his senior year this year. But he's actually also the cousin of Mike Doss who was extremely good at Ohio State way back when, early 2000s, when they had some of those great defenses. And Mark D'Antonio was his defensive coordinator, I believe. Um, and he played in the NFL for quite a while, too. But when you hear Kirk's list of scholarship offers, you're going to wonder how the hell this kid was a two-star recruit. I'll start, go alphabetically in the, with the big names here. Start with Arizona State, damn you, Herm. Uh, Cincinnati, Florida, Kentucky, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Penn State, 
Pitt, Purdue, West Virginia. I mean, the, all of those schools offered this guy a scholarship. This is an Ohio kid with a brother who was a star, All-American, I believe, at Ohio State, who had an Ohio State offer from Ohio and ended up going to Michigan State. That, to me, that's as big of a, like, recruiting win. It can be completely out of left field, too. Right. Uh, as as Mel Tucker has had to this point. I mean, got to feel good about it. Um, as, as we mentioned, <laughs> so much of recruiting is built on what their recruits share, meaning who's been offering them and what they've been up to. And when you're in a pandemic and you can't be attending camps all summer, things people get lost in the wash. This, this guy is one of them and clearly is uh, considering his offer list much higher rated probably then and he's listed that for what it's worth still not too worried about recruit ratings um as we probably shouldn't be um but uh this is a guy that i would imagine you'd see rating um go through the roof (laughs) um once once there's some tape tape on him from this year yeah he sounds like a kid that you know is in the denikos allen mode mold i should say Mm. of Six one, two hundred pound, quote unquote, safety in high school, who I think could easily project up to that star position at MSU. So those are just that's kind of the preview of the recruits at those positions right now. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where they all fit in. And I will say that I will not be surprised at all if one or two of them moves up to safety because as we look at this position group, there are a lot of upperclassmen in this group. Um, and there's going to be a lot of snaps to take here in the not so distant future. So your two starters in all likelihood are at strong safety. The star of the show is Xavier Henderson. Um, another one of the guys who was a huge recruit in his time, uh, and has started the majority of the last two seasons. He's really going to be looked on to be, uh, I would think the vocal leader and captain of this defense, uh, if not the defense, definitely the secondary. I'm sure Antoine uh, Simmons is, is probably actually the leader of the D, but certainly the leader of the secondary and a big-time communicator. Uh, you know, back there, those those safety positions obviously are really relied upon to to kind of coordinate where the coverage is going and any adjustments that need to be made. So this these are going to be really important. And, and Henderson is the type of guy with measurables and athleticism and skills to really hang with just about anybody in the Big Ten. And, and frankly, MSU doesn't have a ton of – guys on the team in general that can say that. So uh, his playing up to his potential, I think is, is really imperative uh, for Michigan state this year at the uh, free safety position. You're probably looking at Trey person. Uh, he's bounced around obviously a little bit from corner to play safety. He's kind of been a little bit all over the place, but is really going to get his chance to shine and start here. It looks like as a senior. So needless to say, an exciting opportunity for Trey and, um, I think we've seen enough flashes out of him historically to think that you'll you'll get something resembling uh, consistent play. Uh, he's a little bit undersized, so he's certainly not going to bring the thump the way somebody normally would from that position. He checks in only at 5'11", 170, um, but I believe he's going to kind of get that first crack. Now, in terms of behind him, really the big name to know is a, a very familiar last name in Michael Dowell. Yes, he is the third Dowell brother. Uh, David and Andrew, obviously, at one point in time, big stars, all Big Ten type of players from Michigan State. Uh, Michael is is really kind of interesting because he's 
uh, he's in similar to his brothers, except for David. David was kind of a true positional safety. You know, Andrew was never really like true positional anything. And I think Michael kind of falls in that same bucket where he's a big safety. Like he, Mm -hmm. he really is quite a large safety checks in at six, one, two 15, but he can really fly too. Now, if he can really handle the position, uh, then he's going to get a crack at, at really playing a decent amount here. Uh, behind person and, and Henderson. And I just think by the multiple nature of Tucker's defense, uh, he's going to get a, a real crack at playing. And it's probably the odds on favor to replace person at free safety moving forward. Yeah, man. Um, this is got any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Because, you know, you mentioned the free safety position, trade person, that is a completely undersized person for a Big Ten. Uh, roster, yes. you're, you're looking for big, you're just looking for guys that, that can, that can hang and then you teach after that, right? Like it's hard, it's hard to teach size. <laughs> you can't. It's impossible. Uh, some would say. So, so you're really leaning on, um, the very few guys, um, who, who physically can, 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 hang on a big 10 field to take a bigger jump. And then you you're leaning on the, the guys who aren't physically probably there um, to get, make the jump to like net neutrality, right? Like right. just don't hurt the team. So that that's where you're kind of at, you know um, you mentioned that, um, you know, tr- true freshmen rare, like uh, Xavier Henderson did two years ago, rarely um, have the opportunity to crack maybe the safety position spot a little more, more um, corner position is where that tends to happen. But this year we might see a little bit of Darius Snow. Um, yes. One of the, one of the best, most talented uh, freshmen on the roster. Yeah. Darius Snow, uh, nephew of former Michigan state point guard legend, Eric Snow, longtime NBA player uh, was, I, I want to say he was the first commitment in his class and um, obviously means a tremendous amount to Michigan State from a legacy perspective, from a play perspective. I mean, he's, he's from Texas, so landing a Texas recruit is big. And obviously him sticking with Mel Tucker through the coaching transition was, was enormous for MSU. So he is definitely going to get um, an opportunity. I think he and Gross are probably the two, if I had to, if I had to wager on, on guys that are in the secondary here as recruits that are going to be true freshmen that'll get a chance. Uh, he just is physically kind of made for the position. I think he is also the type of dude that could easily level up and be a linebacker at some point, just mm-hmm. based on his his size. Um, so this it wouldn't shock me. But like you said, true freshmen rarely get an opportunity back. Not rarely, but don't often get an opportunity back there just because of what it takes mentally. Um, Kari Willis, one of the other success stories. So I guess it has kind of happened for for MSU a decent amount over the last. Well, last few years, but it's, it's not an ideal situation. We'll put it that way. Um, however, Michigan state might be seeing that again this year, but Darius snow, I, I would say is if not this year, def- definitely a name to keep out, uh, keep an eye out for, uh, in, in the coming seasons for sure. 
Yeah, Austin, as we talk about true freshmen, it's unique this year even more so than last year where, you know, that redshirt rule, you get to play four games. And before, that would probably be, you know, a third of the schedule. Now it's four of potentially nine games and ten if there's a bowl season. So there, you get to play almost, you know, half the season without losing a year of eligibility. You might see a lot of that in this Rutgers game. Yeah. Uh, because there's a huge difference between, uh, you know, practice field and game field. You know, who can do it um, when it matters? And you might see a lot of freshmen get that opportunity um, to get reps, get an entire series. And if they don't fade from the uh, spotlight, then maybe they actually earn um, an entire year's worth of reps versus uh, four games worth. So something to think about. Definitely. One of the things that we will be looking for in our um Initial game here against Rutgers, the season kickoff. Okay. Now, now that the actual position, uh, groups, I shouldn't say that. No, because now, now that the prime special, the prime groups are done, now we'll get to the most special of teams. And right. that is the special teams. That's how I meant it. The most um, important in the Big Ten, you could argue. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, listen, I honestly, I genuinely think you are, you are correct. Uh, first of all, our love for punters on this podcast is, is well known and it obviously meant a little bit tongue in cheek, but in all reality, with a team like the one that Michigan State is about to field here in just a handful of days, winning the field position battle and limiting those types of critical errors, putting points on the board when you can be it, be it, be a field goal or not. Uh, like that is super important. I mean, make no mistake. Michigan State's going to need help scoring points this year and having a kicker like senior McMuffin, Matt Coglin is potentially a massive asset for them. Yeah. And take it a step further, even kickoff specialists, um, you know, making it so the balls are not returnable. That matters. We've seen years where Michigan State's kickoff. Uh, just couldn't get it to the end zone and resulted in poor field position for the defense every single series. Um, and then take it a step further, uh, the long snapper position. We know how important that is. Um, <laughs> you can talk to our friends uh, down the way in Ann Arbor about um, snapping the ball. You need to do it. Uh, <laughs> you got to be able to. It's a fact. And Michigan State has uh, – a veteran, Jude Pedrozo, sophomore, um, who had opportunities last year, uh, coming back. So a bit more seasoned and also, uh, a grad transfer, I believe, in Nolan Rossback. So plenty of experience there. Um, an area that you don't want to have to worry about. Same with kicker. As you mentioned, a lot of points were, I think, left on the field last year, especially considering what maybe we had seen um, from Matt Coughlin in years past. Uh, we kind of know his range now, and we know that he was put in a lot of unfair positions because of the offense, which probably hurt his probably hurt his percentage, you know, uh, overall, and, and made it look probably a bit worse than 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 people give him credit for. I just want to note that he's the fourth most accurate field goal kicker in MSU history. You know, he he's crazy. Yeah, he's average. He's better than better average than Michael Geiger, um, better wow. average, much better average than Morton Anderson. You know, I, I just think sometimes the slander gets a little too uh, hot on the Twitter. And and one thing I will note, Coughlin is the only player on Michigan State history who's never missed an extra point. 
So now that oh, I've wow. called that out, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, so his first one will happen this week, so that's great. <laughs> so, but, but I, but seriously, there, there is a, a, he's a bit more consistent than I think people give him, um, credit for. And I will note that last year, um, specifically, he was put into a, a more long, especially for college kickers, um, situations than anyone should feel comfortable with. And that brought down his percentage quite a bit. So, um, looking for a bit of a bounce back here, but also hoping to, uh, be set up for success, uh, a bit more too. So, um, the punter though, the punter, grad transfer from UTEP, a three-man race though. Mitchell Crawford mm-hmm. is the grad transfer, but you also have Tyler Hunt. Um, you have uh, Evan Morris who redshirted last year. And then, uh, we mentioned in the tight end portion of, of, uh, the position previews and even, is that Tyler Hunt? Who is the? Well, yeah, that's Tyler Hunt. So, so we, we're like, we don't know if he's even available to punt. We'll see. I just, again, I want to restate. If we could have a punter slash tight end, I think you have to let Michigan State win the Big Ten because you, you've, you've peaked. It does not get more big. I don't think it could ever possibly get more Big Ten than that. Well, you know, um, I, <laughs> I hope it doesn't have to happen, but like I can find the comedy in that. I would just, I would just say, what is, what's the saying? Like when you, when you have a punter who can also play tight end, you got to do it. You, you just simply have to. You got to do it. it It'd you, be a crime not to. Exactly. But Austin, I know you have some takes on a position that, frankly, has been extremely lacking um, in the last ten years. Only one year I can remember feeling confident at this position. The uh, kick and punt return positions. Yes. Now, this is an area where if you are a team, say, with limited physical resources, limited uh, explosive playmakers, things like that, this is a position that, like, very, like, special teams in general, it's an area you want to win because it legitimately can, can set you apart, uh, from, it can set you apart from, from other more talented teams and keep you in games that like, quite frankly, sometimes you have no business in, in being. And now I don't think MSU is necessarily that, like the, the level of talent is that big of a dearth. You know, I think they've got more than enough to be proud of, but, um, it, regardless, great teams execute well on special teams and, uh, Michigan State simply They've been able to be a great team despite not really having effective players at these positions since, I mean, I don't know, Keyshawn Martin. Like, really, honest to God, I, that's the last one I remember being like, okay, that's like a legit threat. Now, that's not to say they haven't had the athletes that they could put back there to to do it with, but it just, for whatever reason, just has not been a, a consistent area. But this year, once again, now, who's to say if it'll actually be effective or good or whatever, but... The athletes are there probably in, in greater, um, amount than, than, you know, they have been in the, in the last handful of years. And I think we don't really know who's going to be returning kicks and punts, but there are some names on there, uh, like Jalen Naylor, like, um, Jaden Reed, like Julian Barnett, three guys that can bring legitimate explosion. Uh, I think Naylor, honestly, is probably the guy who, whose job it would have been the last couple of years if he had just been able to stay a little healthier. Yeah. Um, this, he's probably your, your no doubter on, on one of those positions. I mean, typically you'll put two kick returners back there anyway. So 
it's hard to imagine him not being one of those two guys if he's healthy this year. Um, but it also provides an interesting opportunity for some of those other really athletic young kids, like the, the Ricky Whites of the world, Anthony Williams, one of the running backs. I mean, these are, these are guys that legitimately bring explosion and, and elusiveness to that position and, you know, might be able to just give you something that you, you don't have. Like one of the players that's a perfect example, I think of this is like Cody White. Like Cody Way was a great player, but he was never known for his elusiveness or his, or I should say his like raw athleticism. Like Michigan State put him there because he was could kind of catch the ball, and that was like honestly like the only big reason. So um, to bring something more to the table than that, I think would would be a, a big win. So I, I'm not sure who it'll be. Again, my odds on favorites would be Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed. Um, there is also the whole thing where you kind of have to balance you know, potentially, uh, you know, not wanting to overwork somebody or, or tire out critical playmakers. Um, but, you know, I would like to think that this could be an area that could be a plus rather than a net negative here. I'm and gonna, if it is, that's a big time win for Michigan State. Absolutely. You know, I'll make a prediction that probably won't pan out and I have no reason to believe it will happen anyway. But I would bet you'd actually see on the kickoff return unit, one of the players we mentioned, and Connor Hayward. And not because Connor will be expected to field said kicks, but because he's the kind of guy that if the ball didn't go to him, you feel okay about it. Um, But but also because he he can actually be um, that lead blocking back for you as well. So Connor is is an up back, if nothing else. You're absolutely right. So, um, yeah, really getting into the special teams now, huh? Uh, we're talking up back. This is a Big Ten team after, at the end of the day, John. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But special teams, you're right, truly special. They don't get enough uh, their due. And, and frankly, uh, we're, we are a pro, pro special teams podcast. So I'll be looking for a lot out of Ross Ells this year. You know, he's, yeah. gotta, he's, he's gotta bring the noise. Figure it out, Ross. That's my piece of advice. Figure it out. Or the punting gods will have their way with you. That's right. So, Austin, should we take a commercial break? I think we should try, John. I think we should try. Okay, now. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Nailed it. Nailed it again. So the second half of the podcast here, it, it's really um, we're, we're really rounded into form. We're going to give you a few oh, yeah. notable national results and then um, previewing the Big Ten. And then our favorite, why Rucker stinks, final, followed by a season prediction. So juicy. Could last a while. Here we go. A lot, a lot of time, a lot of meat on this bone here. So this will be fun. So last week, um, only a couple notable games we're talking about. 
But BYU took out Houston by 17, and it's time to talk to your kids about BYU in the playoff. I know no one wants to hear it, but they are ranked number 15 now, I believe, in the country. Zach Wilson is a bona fide Heisman candidate. He's actually a decent quarterback, unlike Taysom Hill, who um, in the NFL pretends to be a tight end. Yeah. This kid's actually good, and in this game, um, threw for 400 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and was the team's leading rusher. So he's a lot. He's a he's a reason to watch BYU if you, if you're ever you know yearning for a late night. Uh, ap- I guess an eight late night snack. I think the word uh, you're looking for is desperate. Uh, yeah. But yes. You know, to keep the BYU theme going, you know, if you need to keep the buzz going, you know, if the afternoon games are over and you are stuck with that really difficult decision of like, man, am I going to go to bed at seven o'clock because I'm so drunk? Or am I going to rally here and watch some BYU football and drink because they can't? You know, that's what I'm going to do. So, so Zach Smith, he, or excuse me, Zach Wilson, he reminds me a lot of, um, Jimmer Fredette football version. Entertaining. He's entertaining. Like every time he gets the ball, you're like, man, what's going to happen? So um, I, I'm hyping him up a little bit, but seriously, I have, no reason, I have no reason to believe that BYU can't finish the season undefeated. And then you got some decisions to make. So I'm I'm pro this BYU in in the uh, in the playoff talk. Just because, just because of the, the the Mormon jokes that we could get off online oh. really would make it worth it. And like, oh boy, the thought of, I mean, as much as I'd like to see some team actually like compete with Bama, like it is kind of funny to see other teams get like ritually sacrificed to them like Michigan State did once upon a time. Absolutely. So if it could be BYU, I think that would be a very funny, like, like I picture BYU fans at that game. If they could go to that game, maybe sitting in their own, uh, I, I just picture like aggressively like marbled and white painted homes. Um, that's just what I it, it picture like drinking a glass of whole milk and being like, well, this isn't very nice. These, <laughs> these, this crimson tide is a bunch of bullies. Uh, so, I just, you know, I like that visual. You know what's crazy is that like, Every single bowl committee member has like the conundrum on their hands of like, well, if we pick BYU, keep in mind, alcohol sales are going to be terrible. Plummeting. But, but they're going to bring their whole family and every BYU family (laughs) is like nine people. So like, there's that. Consider that. I think you you have to offer uh, glasses of whole milk at your concession stands, and I I really think you'll make up for it. Like the beer sales will be negated. I'll tell you, in the uh, other game we watched, Alabama and Georgia, very little milk um, was had. A lot of light, none. A lot of light beers. Alabama really took control in the second half, which was surprising, considered Georgia was. Um, you know, thought to be the second half team, at least they had shown this year, Alabama winning 41 to 24, losing, I believe, 24 to 20 going into halftime. So Mac Jones became a true Heisman candidate after this one going uh, for 417 yards and four touchdowns. We seem, Austin, kind of destined for a Bama Clemson part five 
Unless OSU crashes the party, right? I mean, yeah, I think in this iteration of college football, like until, I don't know, until further notice, I think you can kind of just expect that. Like until Nick Saban retires and until Dabo, I don't, maybe, maybe when Dabo goes to Bama, Clemson falls off. I don't really know, but, uh, yeah, I think those two names are, are in the conversation uh, until, until further notice. Um, but I, I mean, I'll put it this way. If, if Ohio State, if they can find a way to get Ohio State in that playoff, you better believe they're going to get Ohio State in that playoff. Too much. Too much, uh, brandness at stake. And honestly, with all of the, the, the things with let them play and all that stuff that Ohio State went through, I gotta think the competition committee is gonna throw them the proverbial bone if it comes down to it. But Ohio State's probably the only other school that can legitimately go toe to toe year in and year out talent wise. Let's put it this way. If a team that wasn't Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State won the national championship, I would be shocked. This After, year? I'd yes. be shocked. Absolutely floored if that were the case. So, but we still play because it's fun and it's hilarious because there are things that happen like the Big Ten and Spirit game of the week, Louisville at Notre Dame, which finished 12 to 7 final. The Irish, probably easily the worst undefeated team in the country. 12 to 7, Austin. 12 to 7. It feels good to say. And it feels good to hear. Like, I don't know. Just something about, something about four field goals is just remarkably big 10. And, and to get four field goals and to not lose is, mm-hmm. it's just something you can really only strive for. Like that's you just know, a, a remarkable achievement. You know, you look at the box score and you see, you say, geez, Louisville had 137 yards passing total. But then you see that Notre Dame actually had less with 106. Like, yeesh. <laughs> Sheesh. That's what I say to that. Um, I have another, an NFL version of, uh, spiritually Big Ten game of the week I'd like to submit. Yeah. Hey, one more thing before you do, because. Okay. I just want everyone to know that Notre Dame's leading receiver had 28 yards. Hmm. Mm. It just feels uh, that's nice, right? That's it pretty feels good. good. It feels <laughs> good. Right. Take it away with the NFL. All right. So one game that jumped out at me as remarkably Big Ten was uh, the Denver Broncos and New England Patriots. Final score of this game, eighteen to twelve. You may ask, how did Denver score eighteen points? Well, Denver scored eighteen points by kicking six field goals. Yes. Brandon McManus six for six. New England. Uh, also kicked two field goals. Nick Folk went two for two. So yes. we're talking about of a 30 total scored points, 24 of them came via field goal, which I think is just tremendous. Um, the quarterbacks combined to throw for less than 300 yards, no touchdowns, and four interceptions. <laughs> uh, and the leading rusher from a running back perspective for New England had 19 yards. Um, and the leading receiver in that game was a running back with eight catches for 65 yards. I mean, all of these things were just so beautiful. Uh, New England also had four fumbles, which is great. Um, one of them was not lost or recovered, which I'm trying to figure out how that happened, but, uh, I really like that it did. 
Wait, I think the best part is that like this game did not take place in a blizzard. Like no, this was a perfectly fine weather. wise just a mild New England afternoon produced thirty total points and four total interceptions. I mean, just again, just a a, a master class in Big Ten professional football. Really, really excited to hear that information. Thank you for adding. I have one more thing to add here. Uh, the Chiefs and Bills game is going on right now, and Harrison Butker has missed another extra point. And I know we talked about McMuffin never missing an extra point. Harrison Butker has missed an extra point in literally all six of the games the Chiefs have played, and he wow. still has his job. And I think that is something again we all should strive for uh, to be that good and to, to be that inconsistent, inconsistently consistent, and keep your job. It's just well, a wonder. Well, and also that. They are so confident in their offense that they're like, yeah, we can afford to miss one here and there. We get it, buddy. Just <laughs> one? That's fine. Yeah, don't worry about it. Hey, two, it's okay. I mean, like, it's not a big deal. You just, listen, if you need, a, if you need to miss one, just tell us. It's not, it's, it's totally fine. We get it. Your foot gets tired going out there so much. It happens. Yeah, listen, you got a tough gig, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just wanted to submit, submit those as well. Good stuff, and thank you to all who who alert us on College Football Saturday. Ah, uh, yes, it's great. Really appreciate the the both those and the punting updates. Um, mm-hmm. Frankly, they usually go together. So, thank you. Um, okay, Austin, our first preview of the Big Ten uh, season. We, you know, usually we go game by game, but um, this time around we'll give a little update on what we, how we're feeling about each team as well. So Big Ten season kicks off actually this Friday night. Sure. Yes. Uh, Illinois. Super big. Exactly. Illinois t- um, travels to Wisconsin and is a 23 and a half point dog to the Badgers, which surprised me. You know, we talked about this. This is the same Illinois team that beat Wisconsin last year. Again, to be fair, forget. massive upset. I get it, but they did it. They already did it once, and here comes the preview. Wisconsin is replacing their number one wide receiver, Cephas, who plays for the Lions now. Their number one running back, Jonathan Taylor, who might be the best running back they ever have had at Wisconsin. And um, their quarterback for the past – Two years, I believe, Jack Cohn um, is still nursing a, a off-season surgery, I believe, so they'll be starting a brand-new quarterback. Now, Wisconsin, probably the most consistent uh, program in, in the conference outside of Ohio State. They seemingly are, are pretty good at reloading. Those are some pretty important positions we're talking. So um, yes. that's to say, you know, I have all the confidence in the world Wisconsin's going to win this game by 23 and a half to a team you lost last year. Oh, man, I don't know. Yeah, I think people – like, I think Vegas is just counting on people having just completely forgotten that that game took place, which, in their defense, something totally understandable for your average. I, yeah, I kind of did, you know. Yeah, I definitely happen. did. You brought it up, and I was like, oh, wow, totally forgot about that one. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, there's something to be said for, you know, yes, uh, like you said, the consistency of Wisconsin is, is unquestioned, but 
um, I have to also say that you replace that many skill position players, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking. I will say, yes, Jonathan Taylor, obviously stud, uh, already doing well in the NFL, but if there's one position Wisconsin's got to feel okay about replacing, it, it, it has to be running back. You know, that's, uh, sure. you, you know, they've, they've churned out good ones, even if you're not that good running behind what the, you know, is sure to be a very good offensive line. Uh, probably going to go a long way. I think that's, that's one of those, those schools we talk about it all the time. You know yourself, understand who you are and play to your strengths. And that's, nobody does that. I, I would argue almost nobody does that better than Wisconsin. So I expect them to win, but yeah, it's, I don't know about by four touchdowns. Yeah. Interesting that in the other team, Illinois, they are probably, we think they're on schedule for their, I don't think rebuild is even the word. It's, Reestablishing stabilization. You know, just build. Maybe not a re. It might just be a build. Yeah, build. <laughs> build anything. And they're ahead of schedule with that win um, versus Wisconsin and basically guaranteed Lovey Smith another, what, three years, no matter what. <laughs> so, um, how, how many do you want, Lovey? Like, at this point, if you're Illinois, I don't know how you get rid of them. It would be yeah. a massive mistake. It could be a Bo Pelini level firing where you're well, just kind of like, we we've lost our sense of self. That said, you know, Illinois, their schedule, I don't, I don't know, man, I've not seen a lot of wins. Um, they have crossover um, with, with Ohio state and um, they do get Rutgers, um, which is great, but um, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't see a ton of W's, but who knows? Um, they are starting Brandon Peters at quarterback, a name you might remember, former Michigan quarterback last year, um, quarterback the Illini for, I believe, almost the entire year, beat Michigan State. So um, who's to say what you have in Champaign this year? Um, yeah, you have, you have something. You have reason you have for, for guarded optimism, I suppose. Yeah, uniforms and everything. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> On to the Saturday morning kicks. Uh, Nebraska um, rewarded for all of their off-season um, harumphing to get get back on the field. We're, we'll face off against a Big Ten champion in Ohio State. Uh, <laughs> this is a team that opened as a 21.5-point Buckeye favorite. That line has since moved all the way to 27. And I would guess before uh, kick will will make its way to 28. People feeling really confident in this Ohio State team, whose win loss uh, over under was eight and a half, and um, that means a lot of folks think that they're going to go undefeated. And I am one of them. How about you, Austin? Yeah. Uh, first of all, huge shout out to the Big Ten schedule makers for just <laughs> giving the double, flipping the double bird to Nebraska. Like this, you guys are a real pain in the dick this entire time. So we're <laughs> going to go ahead and give you the worst possible matchup week one. I, I just, it, like, it's a crossover game too. It's not even an in-division game. I just, there was such a clear and obvious middle finger that I just really appreciate the level of pettiness that they've gone to. So shout out to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the funny thing about the eight and a half number is that they're literally playing eight regular season games. Like you get a ninth, but I, I suppose I'm not counting that as the regular season because it's just like technically a whatever, call it a championship week, week thing. So if you count that 
you have eight known opponents. I'll put it that way. You have eight known opponents and they're saying, yeah, you're going to be all those teams and then half of another one. We don't even care who it is. Like that's, that's, this tells you a lot about what people think about this team. And yeah, I'm not going to be the guy that doesn't think they get it. Um, and like, even though, you know, Chase Young is gone, a lot of other good players are gone. It's, it's still Ohio State. Like I, I said it earlier, but like, it's the only program in my opinion, unless I'm forgetting somebody. I mean, LSU kind of proving the point this year of like, there's only so many people that can go year to year, year in and year out, toe to toe with Bama and Clemson. And Ohio State truly to me is, is really the only one. Like some people might say Oklahoma. I'm not going to say Oklahoma because I just, they choke every single year. But, um, yeah. So I don't even know that they're number three. I, I suppose they're number three in that list, but like, you know, I, it literally does not get better in terms of company and they can, they can confidently put themselves in that class, in my opinion. Well, the reason um, is, yeah, the reason is because Justin Fields is back first and foremost. Well, that's, that's the biggest reason this year. No question. I mean, you bring back what is maybe the only chance of Trevor Lawrence not being the number one overall pick is that somebody gets drunk on Justin Fields and makes him the number one overall pick. And I don't even yeah. think you would look at that and think, okay, this is some, like, it would be the, I think everybody universally would be surprised, but I don't think, I don't think people would be shocked. And I do not think that it will be surprising at all, at all to hear as the draft comes closer that some people prefer Justin Fields because he just brings a different element. He does all of the things that Trevor Lawrence does well, uh, pretty much close to, if not the same level of, of caliber, uh, and kind of brings a little bit more mobility than, than Lawrence does. So, um, and it's played in probably a slightly more NFL-ish offense, to be honest, uh, which is crazy to say about Ohio State. It's true. So, um, yeah, Ohio State's a bunch of beasts, and I fully expect them to cover that line. That it takes us to Nebraska, who would have you believe that they're back. Um, but this is Scott Frost slash Landry from Friday Night Lights. Third nah. year, and he – has uh, not performed to date. And frankly, um, I have not a ton of reason to believe that you know, they will be back anytime soon, especially with the way his uh, season is kind of lining up first with Ohio State and then um, from there um, taking on Wisconsin right away, uh, traveling then to at Northwestern, followed by Penn State. So – that's their first four games. That is why their AD cried to the media that they were being treated unfairly by the conference, to which I say, you talk a lot of shit. You yeah. tell us that you're a blue blood. You want us yeah. to take you seriously. Do it. Here is the chance. Well, not only doing all that, but then have done nothing to even come close to proving you deserve it, and now you're getting the chance to prove it after you – you know, belly ached for a season, threatened to leave the conference because you thought your, you know, your package was so big. Like, get out of here. So I, I hope they lose every single game. Well, uh, you, you, you wouldn't be the only Big Ten fan. Um, they do, they would have you know that Adrian uh, Martinez is back behind uh, center and that this year is different and he's actually good. And not to believe the data that's in front of you that proves that he's not. Um, yeah. Well, what does science know? I think that's one thing we've all learned this year. Science knows. 
So why pay attention to numbers? So we'll see um, how he fares in his first game. Um, and I just don't have a ton of faith. As we mentioned, uh, the beginning of that schedule is tough. And we'll see if they, you know, are able to stay together if they fall apart. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't be too mad if they fell apart. Uh, then we hit the afternoon games here, Austin. Um, you got first, uh, Purdue, uh, hosts Iowa. Breaking news today, head coach Jeff Brom of the Boilermakers has tested positive for COVID-19. So very likely he will not be, uh, joining them on the sidelines. If there's one person I expect to pull a full Hugh Freeze and coach from a hospital bed with a pair of binoculars, it's Jeff Brom. Yeah. Uh, I, I 1000% expect that. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, nothing but the best to him and I hope he recovers and is, is, uh, you know, fully healthy and back on the sidelines before too long, but, um, certainly not going to help Purdue's, uh, chances in this one. I think Iowa though, you know, Purdue, uh, I'll put it this way with Purdue. Jeff Rom should have cashed out while he had a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. they are going to be in a tough spot again. Um, they haven't really improved their talent base too much. And Rondale Moore opted out of this season. Rondale Moore, not just the best playmaker on the Boilermakers, maybe the best receiver in the conference. First round caliber talent. I mean, legitimate game breaker. Um, that kid is, is a true star. And I so, kind of think they're screwed. So I, he actually is going to play this year. Oh, he is. He's going to, okay. See, I thought he opted out. I didn't realize he had opted back in. Okay. Huge break for them. They're still going to suck. Correct. There's my there's my analysis of Purdue football. But he's he's worth the he's worth um he's worth a watch though for sure, no question. Um man, so yeah, Purdue not feeling good at the moment. You mentioned Iowa. Um, this is a team that's replacing a lot as well, and you know this is a because of the stability you've had at, at head coach uh, for the last twenty one years. Um, they kind of get a pass for. Just they're going to win seven to nine games a year. We just know that. Um, but more distractions. Uh, I believe as of today, Austin, there was a $20 million lawsuit against uh, Kirk Ferentz and additional members of his staff. Former members asking him at, and the university to step down and that they were owed money uh, in, in, in losses, uh, emotional, I believe, um, Abuse potentially. And then on top of that, uh, they lost their recruit today as a big, specifically because of that. So I bring that up just because a lot of distractions, uh, for that program right now. No kidding. Yeah. So, it, um, not a program that hasn't, uh, like this is not a Wisconsin type of program that is, I mean, yes, like you said, they're seven to nine pretty consistently, but they've, bottomed out in certain years too. And I like, you know, they throw the occasional five win season in there. It feels like, and uh feels like, you know, we could be looking at whatever the, the eight game version of that type of season, obviously um, with all the distractions and everything, you know, that's, that's, oof, that's a lot to, a lot to take in as a football team. And I, I don't know enough about the issues to speak in any type of educated portion on it, but um hopefully uh, the right thing is done, whatever that may be. But yeah, going to be a, a, an even weirder year in Iowa based on uh, everything that's going on. That's right. So um, that game, Iowa, the, the default favorite because they probably should be. And um, I think two and three point favorites right now. So t- almost a toss up. Um, 
the upset alert of the week or the oh game. Oh, I want everyone to keep back. Penn State travels to Indiana. Um, Indiana, um, I guess, kind of forever stuck in the friend zone of the Big Ten East contenders. They, they've never been able to break through. Uh, <laughs> you know, every year is the year. Um, who I don't think they at all have the talent to keep up with Penn State. But when it's the first game of the year and there hasn't been a traditional camp, why not? Because Indiana does return their top three playmakers. Um, friend of the pod, Michael Penix Jr. Um, and his mother, who were corrected us on how to say his last name last year, which we appreciate. Uh, we did not take into account, however, do appreciate. Exactly. <laughs> I will not make, I will not make said change, but I appreciate the clarification. Um, Watt Filer, I believe is the, you know, he's not just a great, uh, number one wide receiver for Indiana. He's, he's a, he's a great wide receiver in this conference. Um, and, yeah, and, then, I agree. and then on top of that, uh, Stevie Scott. Um, so, um, at running back. So, you know, they certainly have the guys with the experience at the, at skill positions, whether they can hang with Penn State in the trenches and, and, um, everywhere else is yet to be seen. But yeah, trendy upset pick for this week. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with your breakdown of, of Indiana right there. Um, having a little triplets group is not a common thing for a school like Indiana to have legitimate, legitimately like conference level talent at all of those positions is, is awesome for them. They'll probably keep them in more games than they probably deserve to be in. Um, but it's all going to boil down to that line on offense. Like if, and that's the position where, you know, if you're a mid tier type of program, you know, can you keep up? Down there, uh, answer is usually no for most mid-tier programs, but you know, we'll see if this sometimes talent can overcome that. I think the thing they deserve credit for is the fact their defense has done in general gotten much better over the last handful of years. And as long as that defense can keep them in games and you know, if, if, if panics can keep them moving around, Phoenix, excuse me, can keep them scoring, then you know, they're going to be okay. So, uh, yeah, an interesting squad, but like you said, permanent friends zone. Yeah, and and then you have Penn State, who is had a down year uh, recruiting wise this past year, but but their starting positions are just stacked. You know, this is a program that is ranked 13th best um, talent composite in in the country, um, wow. trailing only Ohio State in this conference. And so you're just top to bottom. You know, they're too deep. They're just so much more talented than than Indiana that, that I just have a hard time. I just, you know, I'm never going to be able to pull the trigger on Indiana, you know, beating anybody of, of <laughs> worth until they actually do it, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, despite all these nice things we've said about them, Michigan State did beat them last year. So that's something to, to consider. Penn State, like you said, talent-wise, there's no question it's there. Uh, and honestly, this is one of the teams that – probably fashions themselves as the second best in the conference year in and year out now with Wisconsin, but um, seem to always consistently come up like that half step short. So uh, they'll, they'll get a chance this year, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. The great thing for Penn state this year is that they have the opportunity to play um, Ohio state in the second game this year. And I'm very much in the camp of play people as early as possible. Um, if yes. they are more talented than you, so, uh, so 
I, Penn State has that advantage, and I, I think it actually gives them a leg up um, rather than if they had to play them at the end of the year. I would agree. So let's keep it moving here. Um, for some godforsaken reason, there was a decision made at the Big Ten Network to have their night game be Maryland at Northwestern. And I just can't for the life of me think why they wouldn't tuck this one at 11 a.m. with the rest of the, you know, the garbage. But, um, yeah, Maryland opened as an 11-point dog to Northwestern. For some reason, everyone is feeling very bullish on, on Northwestern this year. I don't know why. They went 3-9 and nine last year. Um, I have no reason to believe that they've improved. I guess I say I take that back. I, I take that back. They did get rid of their offensive coordinator who turned in a worse um, guidance at the, at the position than even Michigan State's offensive staff. So they've cleansed Folks. themselves of that. So they might just be better by default. Um, and, and they will be starting former Hoosier uh, Peyton Ramsey at quarterback this week. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on Northwestern you'd like to share? It's Northwestern. Like, I mean, Peyton Ramsey's fine, but like, is, is Peyton Ramsey what's going to make you like good? I don't know. I just, Probably not. Yeah. I mean, like, Here's the I don't thing. know. It doesn't, it doesn't do much for me. It Exactly. It doesn't do a ton for me either. So um, Maryland's also a team that's never done much for me. Um, for what it's worth, uh, they, Mike Loxley is producing, if people can stay healthy, um, a more competitive group um, than they've had in a long time. For what it's worth, they're the sixth most talented uh, team composite in the Big Ten right now, uh, largely because of his ability to recruit. Um, see, that's for this season, not for, for all for the entire roster. But, you know, I think it's he's slowly building. He can have a healthy quarterback, which I don't think Maryland's had in, God, a decade. And who knows if they can um, win some of these bottom-tier games. Yeah, I mean, that's, Maryland's got to start somewhere. I feel like they kind of fall in that same – like, they're almost wannabe Indiana, like, where they just want to be in the friend zone. Like, they're, they're looking out – in at the friend zone. Um, but yeah, Mike Loxley, like you said, he's been recruiting well. It's just a matter of whether he can coach. I mean, if he can, if he can coach this team, you've seen it. Like they've beaten Texas the last two years. It's not like they can't beat talented teams. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's, that's one that is like a, a couple of things. First of all, prove that you belong. Second of all, do not trust a single second of what you're seeing from them before call it the fourth week in the season. Cause they, it's been Texas the last uh, handful of years, but like they only win early and like, that's it. So I, you know, that's a big time prove it one for me. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I did misspeak it. They are the sixth most talented composite uh, for their entire roster. You know, that's why they're able to hang with the and beat the Texases. But then, you know, they seemingly are, it just becomes too much when you play, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, um, Michigan, mm-hmm. Michigan State. Just when you lose games, it's like just so it's beyond defeating in that that day. It's it's it can take a toll on the entire season, and you kind of lose motivation. So, 
Um, you know, if they can jump out early and stick with it, I don't know. They, they, this is just a game I'm totally probably going to be the only person that I know that chooses to watch it. So sorry yeah, per usual. for you guys. Per usual, right? Absolutely. But there is a Big Ten game of the week at the exact same time, Austin. Michigan travels to Minneapolis to take on uh, the Gophers for the Little Brown Jug. That kicks on ABC. And that game uh, went from opening as a Gopher two-and-a-half-point favorite to a two-point dog as of right now. Um, kind of surprising to see that four-and-a-half-point swing already. But um, people are buying the Michigan hype early and often, and, and – uh, I guess that's not new. Yeah, I mean, some people just never learn their lesson, right? I mean, I, <laughs> I, now, I think Michigan probably deserves to be the – but you know what? No, I don't. Like, I, I really don't know how to feel about this one. Like, on one hand, I think Michigan's probably the more talented team. Like, just top to bottom, probably the more talented team. Um, but they lost a ton on offense. They were placing – I think you said to me the other day it was uh, – Four of their offensive linemen, um, and their quarterback and Nico Collins isn't playing and DPJ is gone. I mean, mm-hmm. it is not an insignificant amount of talent that they're replacing there. Now their defense front seven specifically should still be pretty good. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, Mike McGlone, uh, McG- excuse me, Cameron McGrone. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Um, it, it, they've got a pretty good front seven. Uh, so that shouldn't be the problem secondary is kind of kind of up in the air I think Ambry Thomas ended up opting out he may have opted back in I don't know but um defensively they should be able to hold their own and Minnesota did lose Tyler Johnson who was a stud wide receiver um but they bring back their quarterback they bring back some other exciting position players PJ Flex clearly got a good thing going up there uh they did lose Antoine Winfield Jr. their best player in the secondary so I'm not sure listen Michigan also has a horrible record in these games. They're like one in 19 against ranked opponents in on the road or something, or where they're like a favorite or something like that. In you know, I, I saw some crazy stat where they basically, basically the moral of the story is Michigan is who, who, exactly who you would expect them to be at this point. Um, which is, which is shocking to me because what? That it's, they lose these games. I mean, that's all they've done under Harbaugh. They haven't won it. Like that's the biggest indictment of him is he hasn't won these kind of games. No, no, I'll take it a step, dig it, dig a step deeper. The, the reason it's shocking to me is not that. It's that you are in year six of your savior returning, and you have a toss-up game against Minnesota. Like Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota, PJ Flex third year, and it's not like yeah, he, it's Minnesota. I mean, they have right. haven't had a Big Ten championship since like the seventies. Like, I, I, mean, I couldn't tell you. So, so I like I, for me, it's I, you can miss me with the Minnesota's good. Like, okay, you're in year six. Like you, right? You, right. And, and they're Minnesota. So, like, I just kind of I'm not. This shouldn't be a toss up game. Considering the yeah, I mean, this, this, and this is where the prestige thing comes into play, where you want to consider yourself uh, something, and you know you thought it was, but it's not, but it's not that way type of thing. Um, because yeah, I mean, this is year six. This, I mean, shit, this is supposed to be a well-oiled machine in year two, and now we're we're standing here 
And again, yeah, you lost a lot of talent, but guess what? Ohio State loses a ton of talent every single year, and they're still yeah. putting up 11 win seasons. Like, this is, you don't get to play both sides. You're one thing or you're not. And I think, like, you're, they're not. And that's fine. Like, not everybody is, but you just have to, like, it, it's that self awareness that we talk about all the time. And I just, I just don't think it really exists down there. But interesting, interesting first test for, uh, the new age Cam Newton. That'll be, that'll be fun. Um, but yeah. really huge first test for, for Joe Milton. If he's able to put a good game together, I mean, this should, team should be pretty confident, but we'll see. It, it's yeah. one of like, I just look at them and I think it's like, you got to prove it. Mm-hmm. Well, both, and, and that goes for both teams. I think Minnesota's trying to quote, prove that they belong, um, that, uh-huh. you know, this is, they're not a fluke, um, that they are, are here for the long haul. So this is a statement game for them as well. And I, I, should correct myself. They haven't won a Big Ten championship since 1967, so that's where um, <laughs> in, they have, they they have a long way to prove that they belong. But wins like this would go um, would help do the trick. And and one name we didn't I don't I don't know if you mentioned um, if it weren't for Rondell Moore, this guy would be uh, probably the the flashiest or receiver in the Big Ten in Rashad Bateman. Um, yeah, this guy, this guy is a playmaker in all sense of the words, and he opted out and then opted back in. Um, I mean, this guy put up ridiculous numbers last year. So when Michigan's um, number one uh, cornerback Ambry Thomas um, decided to opt out this year, that just makes that even more of an area to watch. Yeah, that secondary for Michigan is going to be a big time, big time trouble spot. Uh, with Thomas leading, I mean, and that, that I think speaks to really the, the caliber of player that Amber Thomas is too. Like he, he is a very, very good player. Um, to lose him is, is a big deal. I think one thing's interesting, and we'll talk more about this later on, you know, probably when we talk about Michigan next week, but which is insane to say, but, uh, their guys opted out and stayed out. I mean, they, they had, they had two very good players in Nico Collins. You know, you and I were talking about it today in terms of a prospect. Nico Collins might be the best offensive prospect they've had since since Braylon Edwards. I mean like yep. Yep. he's that level of, of, of good and you just lost him in a prime season with a new quarterback. I mean that's a huge deal. And then Ambry Thomas again, you know, he, he's your number one corner, probably the guy who would have worn their you know, their number one and all, all those uh things that come along with that. So it, you, you might have you lost I mean two of your top However many players, uh, and, and against a Minnesota team that's going to be feeling themselves, always going to be fired up for a game like this. I mean, it's a tough first game for Michigan. Yeah, I will say about Nico Collins, I, I if I were a mock first round wide receiver, I probably there's no point in playing if if you can. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, and it's not to say that I don't agree with his decision. I no, totally no, agree with his decision. It's just, it's yeah, just I'm a. Like, it, it, I find it interesting that they both opted out and stayed out. Whereas a guy like Bateman, like you said, who is a, a, a star, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe not to the level of Collins, but a, a guy who, I mean, which maybe even says more about his decision because he's not at that level and needs that, you know, his, his decision to come back is, is a, a, a big one. It's calculated risk, but it'll be an interesting game. The, the big question mark here is today, PJ Fleck uh, noted that there were members of his team that did have positive uh, tests for COVID-19 um, wouldn't reveal who and how many. Right. So uh, we won't know until game time. Yeah. And I can see, I can see PJ being the type of guy that just runs somebody out there and says, uh, chin up kid, you'll feel fine. 
Um, that would be but we'll see. Terrible. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, that wraps a quick season preview uh, around the Big Ten. A uh, lot of fun games this weekend. Um, but the queen of them all, Rutger versus Michigan State. Truly, Big Ten season is upon us. Well, well, honest question. You're an unbiased observer. Where does this game fall on on that list that you just or on this Saturday schedule? It can go Friday and Saturday schedule um, would, of the watchability for Big Ten. Is, is this this is this is probably the last one, right? That you'd watch as an average fan. If I'm an average fan. I'd probably choose Michigan State Rutgers over Maryland Northwestern for wow. because yeah, because probably. Rutgers. You always tune in to see how bad it is, you know? Like if you see two bad yeah, programs well, but you want to see the like worst. gawking at a car it's like gawking at a car crash. Like yeah, everybody slows down. Yeah. I'll buy that. That's, that's solid logic. So can't wait to be in a part of a car crash on Saturday. So um, before we get to the t- the game preview, um, it's our favorite segment, Why This Program Stinks. A uh, big thank you to everyone with the last-minute um, effort here, getting us some great submissions. Um, Austin, I, I'm actually going to let you go first with your thoughts because <laughs> hilarious. I mean, I don't really know that I have more than one thought. And just the thought is that it's Rutgers, dude. Like, I I think they've reached this level of complete and total ineptitude where, like, it defines who you are. Like, if you meet somebody that went to Rutgers, you're like, wow, your school sucks at sports. Like, that's the first thing that I – I think of that and Tony Soprano. Like, those are the two things I think of, that they majored in waste management and that their sports teams are just awful. Like – I like I've told the Kansas football story before where like I was at a bar and people were actually tuning in for like an ESPN three yep. webcast yep. of Kansas football. <laughs> yep. Like <laughs> Rutgers just falls in that same vein where I'm like the level of self hatred and dedication that it would take to be a fan of that school is, is something I want to say I can't fathom. But as a Detroit Lions fan, I can unfortunately like really kind of relate to in such a painful way. It's like uh, I to do that for like willingly for more than one team, like and to say yes, this is my alma mater. This is part of like what I like <laughs> my personal history. Like <laughs> that just sucks so bad. Uh, and yeah, and it's like, I think when you get to the point where you're like, listen, this school, if they put together six wins, you should build a statue of someone. If you reach that point as a program and you're not speaking like semi tongue in cheek, which I'm not in this case, then, then you just need to assess the validity of your, of your athletics department. That's where I think they're at, but it's fun. It's like, I, I will say the one thing about Rutgers is like, it's kind of fun, bad still in a, in a way, like they're not. Like Nebraska is horrible at both sports right now, and they're just annoying. Like at least Rutgers isn't annoying. Like I've never heard of an annoying Rutgers like fan, except for the one kid, the recruit who said we'll never lose to Michigan State, which was just hysterical. 
That's a 180, considering, um, as our, the favorite stat of the pod is Michigan State has yet to lose to Rutgers in either men's college basketball or football since they joined the conference. It's incredible. Yeah, that's my favorite Rutgers stat. It's, it's, um, it's shocking, really. So, uh, <laughs> a lot on the line, a lot on the line Saturday for the Spartans to keep that streak going. Um, I want to share a few statistics that I was able to find on Rutgers that I thought were, were worth sharing. Rutgers has made the NCAA tournament six times in their program history, Austin. That's more than I would have thought. They have seven NCAA tournament losses. <laughs> They're the only team in the <laughs> How? Well, I'm glad you asked. The only, the only team in the country to have more losses, um, than tournaments played in is Rutgers. In, uh, 1976, I believe, they made it to the final four. And, um, then you played third place games and they lost that game as well. So they're the only program in the country that has lost more games than um, tournaments they've been in. It's, it's just very, I really like that stat quite a bit. I kind of yeah. wish they still played that game. Well, well, here, here's here's one that's worse. Since Rutgers' last NCAA tournament game, the last time they played in the game, which was 1991, Michigan State has played in 78 NCAA tournament games. <laughs> Wow. That is privileged. Like, that is... (laughs) You know who this should really depress is Northwestern. Like, Mm. the fact that Rutgers has made it... Has seven... (laughs) Rutgers has six more losses in the tournament than you have appearances in the (laughs) tournament. Like, that that should just really make you really just... Just sad. Like, there's... (laughs) Not bad or anything. Just... I'd be very sad if that was true about my school. Really tough. I'd 78 NCAA. Think about this. You've probably, if you're a listener, you've probably seen, I would like to think, you know, half of them, depending on how old you are. Um, some of you, all of them. You've had 78 magical experiences. Like NCAA, tur- watching an NCAA tournament game is, there's a special. It's, it, it's awesome. It matters. <laughs> Rutgers. Has actually has guys on their coaching staff, Austin, their basketball coaching staff, that weren't alive the last time Rutgers <laughs> played in the NCAA tournament. Okay, like, that's really great. Bad. And I think the most damning thing is this past season they would have made it, but then we can't. Oh my god! I know. I really like if you needed a sign. That's a sign. <laughs> I was gonna. You you mentioned that like the fact that they have basketball coaches, which I think in and of itself is. Good sort of a miracle that people are like, yeah, hell yeah, Rutgers done uh, and actually sign the contract. But if you're like a Rutgers, someone in the athletics department, I think that's the first place you start looking for overhead. You're like, how many assistant coaches do we have? Do we need, do, do we really need them? Do we need them? Do we need any of them? Like, do we need them at all? I think it should be like a, honestly a player coach team or just like one guy. Like, I think you just one guy and that's it. You'd be like, what? It's about, we'd be about the same with one coach. I'm with you. And so they need to shed some, shed some, uh, dead weight. That's where I'm looking first. Well, I definitely feel that way about their football program, considering 
considering it's been 1,080 days since the last time they won <laughs> a football game. <laughs> oh, my God. Thousand, that is a startling number. <laughs> 1,080 days. And, um, yeah, so uh, it, it, so many coaches. I don't know what they're doing, you know, but they're not good at it. Only UConn has a longer conference losing streak for football. Um, so congrats to Rutgers for that. Apparently the Northeast is miserable at this sport. Yeah, football um, hotbed. <laughs> and then it get, last year um, they were outscored 365 to 51 in Big Ten games. <laughs> That's not just against like oh, the man. top teams. That's everyone. 365 That's to 51. So good. That is an average Big Ten loss of 41 to Like, you can, on average, expect to go out and lose by 35 if you are 2019 Rutgers. Did you say 30, 45 to 6? 41 to 6, you can expect to lose by 35 or more. Every you're time. going to miss an average, like, you're on average going to miss an extra point a game. Like, yep. that's, that's what that tells me. God, mm-hmm. that is awesome. It, it, like, I guess this is where I hate the Lions even more. Cause like, like this is at least the level of spectacular bad where like, I don't even think these watching these games would be stressful. Like, no. I, I feel like you'd, you'd go out and if you're within 14 at half, you're like, Hell yeah, dude. This is great. Can you imagine if we won this game? You lose by 45. Like, but it just doesn't matter. Like, it, 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 with some other teams, they just like tease you, like Maryland or Northwestern, you kind of tease you into being like, oh, we're blah, 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 maybe. And then with Rutgers, they're just like, <laughs> no, it's just a really, I bet their fans, all of them, all 15 of them really probably appreciate that. Well, in the past five years, they have 13 wins. And in the past five years, they have four conference wins. Um, in the past five years, they have three road wins. Yeah. So, so, well, all the 13 wins, I should note that four were against FCS teams. So do yeah. what you will with that. That is, that is remarkable stuff. Should we? Should we start clowning this team? Well, thank you to yeah to everyone. Um, should I should I we start reading these some of our submissions? Okay. Yes. I'll I'll start it off with our friend Jesse O'Brien who says nothing immediately comes to mind. I'm excited to hear what everyone else comes up with, though, which I really <laughs> appreciate. Um, Mitch Stewart uh, tells us that. Rutgers lives in America's garbage dump. <laughs> um, at Pony Up Doc says their logo is literally a big red times new New Roman R. Nice job, Rubraska. <laughs> Rub Rubraska, like that, I I would take that so personally if I was a Nebraska fan, be like you're just getting clowned for being like the West version <laughs> of this horrible horrible team. I'll, I'll let you read a couple here, starting with from a friend of the pod, Zach Brooks. Zach Brooks just says three words, fourth down spike. 
Yeah, it's going to be hard to ever get over that one. I'll be honest. That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, Davis Coughlin, 34, says they lost to the worst MSU team of all time, 49 nothing, which is accurate and remarkable. That's like, um, that's, that's tough, man. Like, that yeah, was like, the worst team. No, it's like legitimately difficult, like a legitimately difficult thing for someone to do. Uh, wow. The lone bright spot in the 2016 season. It's a startling level of incompetence. Um, Maddie Mass says, every Rutgers alumni I have met has quickly changed the subject. <laughs> and they really hide to try, try to hide the fact that they're in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> we got some other good ones here. Sparty Party 23 just says, Butkers. <laughs> Uh, ZTJ521 says Queens College, their first name, was a way to pander to the crown during colonial times. Hello. Uh, Mark Vanderhoff says their mascot answers the question, what would Sparty look like if he was the same except awful in every way? <laughs> <laughs> and my last favorite one is Peter Manette 3 says they have the audacity to flaunt the fact they're the, quote, birthplace of college football, an embarrassment to the sport. <laughs> oh, I love when they get like very pointed and personal. Yes, and that's I, always one of my favorites. The meaner, the better, folks. Uh, a couple more. <laughs> uh, our our friend uh, Dougie D. I'm going to edit this one. <laughs> yeah, this needs to be edited. I was going to leave it alone. I think what's worth noting is the most famous player they've had in the last 20 years is Ray Rice. And so you can do what you will with that information <laughs> and or search his name on Twitter and see what he had or to don't. say. Or <laughs> don't. Or don't, you know. <laughs> see what Dougie D had to say because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's hot. It's, it's hot. objectively bad. Uh, Zanjo, um, Zanjo um, our friend, comes in hot with a lot of thoughts. They've made one postseason combined in football and men's basketball since they joined the conference. Wow. wow. Their biggest rivalry, Penn State, doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page, which in these times, Austin, that's telling. Everything's got a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very troubling. Rutgers Savior is a guy who has one single double-digit win season. It was more recently seen having half of his team get a staph infection in Tampa Bay. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's the guy who got the Tennessee the, the Tennessee job, mm-hmm. the Tennessee job, and mm-hmm. then didn't get the Tennessee job. That's that's what we're working with here: a Tennessee reject. Uh. Um, yeah. Shiano's best conference record against the Big East is five and two. Again, this is their savior. <laughs> and, and finally, Rutgers' best decade was the 60s, the 1860s. <laughs> it's pretty boom roasted. Oh, thank you to everybody who contributed. Uh, this was great and appreciate the last minute submissions. Uh, if you want to get a head start, um, hopefully next week is um, even more um, nasty uh, with Michigan on the docket. So get those submissions in before we even ask, because we'll probably forget again. Yeah, that's really honestly the most the best advice you could give to someone. The most honest assessment of our ability here. Um, 
Okay, last deal for today. A long pod. We're giving you guys a lot today. Um, let's talk Rutgers, John. Let's talk yep. Rutgers actual football. So we've talked about um, we've it's talked a game. A lot of trash. Go ahead. We've talked a lot of trash. So um, you know, we'll show you maybe why. Uh, because yeah. their roster leaves things inspiring. And frankly, Austin, I, I will say it. I've said it before. Uh, if Michigan State loses this game, I wouldn't anticipate. I don't see a way MSU wins another game this season. Yeah, that's an entirely fair take. Like, uh, if they can't. If, if you can't beat these guys, you just, I don't know. You have to question a, a, a lot of things. I agree. So uh, MSU opened as an 11.5-point favorite. Uh, it's moved to about 13. Um, I don't know how to feel about that one. Computers say, on average, this is probably a two out of three chance that Michigan State wins. So not great. Not overwhelming odds, I would say. Um, Austin, bring us to one of our favorite parts of the preview. Do you have any roster names for me? I do have some roster names for you, John. Um this Let is, sorry, for our new listeners, we just read roster names. We're not going to give you any other context. Yeah, we just read names off the rosters. There's no need to know more. Uh, offensive tackle, Raekwon O'Neal. I, Raekwon, like, Wu-Tang really has a tremendous level of influence because Raekwon's popping up a lot recently. It's true. Um, they also have a wide receiver named Aaron Crookshank. A wide receiver named Shameen Jones, another big favorite of mine. Uh, their backup kicker, oh, excuse me, their competing third place kicker, uh, is Guy Fava. Love that name. Uh, they have a linebacker, Ola Kunle Fatukasi. Love it. Uh, yep. And then we also have, uh, I don't, I would love to know where this name came from. Elorm Lumor. E-L-O-R-M. Elorm. Um, and those are, those are your names. It's not the most adventurous group of names, but the two things that's worth pointing out now, and I think we should probably just keep an eye on this as the year goes on. Players that are the number zero. You mm-hmm. may have noticed that zero is now an official number in, in NCAA football. Rutgers in just the most fitting twist has two of them. Good one job, on guys. One on defense. And both of them might be starters. The, the safety, Christian Izim is number zero. And then what I'm anticipating to be maybe the greatest visual in college football history is Noah Vidral competing to be the starting quarterback. Senior is also number zero. Yes. So number zero for Rutgers playing quarterback is uh, to say that there's meme potential is probably underselling what could take place here on Saturday. Oh man, I, someone should have advised that kid otherwise. Yeah, like, uh, Shiano should have been like, really? You? You sure? <laughs> you're, you know you're the quarterback, right? And he'd be like, oh shit, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's just a hysterical, almost two on the nose, some are saying. I would agree. Um, any, uh, the depth chart that we should know? So a couple names uh, offensively that are interesting. Well, I, I'll just say in general, one thing I, I actually want to give Craig Schiano credit for is that he has pursued uh, the transfer market hard. Um, 
there are several transfers that are actually going to end up being immediately eligible for this team, all of whom are from like pretty big programs, to be honest. They have transfers from the following programs, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State, Boston College, Minnesota, Baylor, and then one from UCF by way of Ohio State. And several of those players are going to actually be eligible and play in this game. On offense, the biggest one to know is, is that Aaron Cruikshank. He's a Wisconsin transfer, small guy at only, I think, about 5'10", 150-something pounds. So a little dude, um, but a burner. I think the most notable contribution he had at Wisconsin was he actually had two uh, kick return touchdowns in his time there. So definitely something that Michigan State's going to have to be on the lookout for. Uh, he does some have some serious kick return ability. Um, in terms of uh, returning production, I believe he's their returning uh, rusher, but Isaiah Pacheco um, is is uh, coming back and is going to be the starting running back. So that's something. And then they have what could be a potentially a big mismatch. And I, I think it really boils down to whether they have the quarterbacks that can get him the ball. And, I mean, there's no real reason to expect that they do. But um, they do have a tight end named Giovanni Haskins, who is 6'5", 240. Uh, and, and listen, we've seen tight ends with that type of size on lesser talented teams give Michigan State trouble in the past. Uh, the tight end from Western Michigan comes to mind from a few years ago. Um, so it's very possible that, that that's a name you hear of. And, and Antoine Simmons is probably going to end up covering him because that's typically something that a star linebacker would, would end up doing him in the safeties. So uh, Xavier Henderson might get a little bit of time on him. So that'll be uh, an interesting matchup because he provides something that, that they don't really have. And that's a standout physical trait in his size. So some things to know there. Defensively, um, when you look at the roster, I actually really on both lines, I think the biggest thing for this team is they just really, really uh, lack size. I mean, when you look at the offensive and defensive lines, you have two total players, both lines combined, two players on the three or on the two deep that are over 300 pounds. That in the Big Ten is yep. is not going to get it done. I mean, if you need if you need case in point or proof of that, just look at Michigan State's offensive line for the past handful of years. I mean, that's that's contained, and that's a group that has had a couple of guys that are over 300 pounds in it. This group has has one starter in in that uh, their offensive line has one, I believe, just one starter that that breaks that 300 pound threshold. So um, when when you talk about you know what is the what do they need to do to stay in this game? What is Michigan State? You know, what are we looking at for storylines? I think who wins the, the line of scrimmage in this one will really tell the tale of the entire game. Um, if Kind of like you just said, John, if Michigan State can't win this game, they're not going to win a game this season. Like this is just by far the easiest one they're going to get. Uh, if they can't win the line of scrimmage, even if they win the game, that is a extremely – extremely bad omen for the remainder of the year. Um, MSU again, not like they have a bunch of maulers up front, but they have, they have actual big 10 size. I, I mean, not, maybe not at every position, but Michigan state for the most part, this roster is, is made up of big 10 caliber athletes by and large. Rutgers is, is by and large the exact opposite. So, um, if you can't beat what essentially amounts to like a, a Mac type of t- football team profile with a quarterback that has never done anything <laughs> impressive in Archer Sitkowski, um, you're, you're in some, you're in some trouble. So I, I would say in terms of themes to look for, 
Um, you know Michigan State wants to run the ball. Uh, if they can't do it in this game, it's going to be a long season. Um, and I think if you're Rutgers, what you have to try and do is win games the way bad teams win games, which is they have to try to be able to run the ball. They have to limit turnovers, uh, and they have to capitalize on mistakes from Michigan State. So, uh, I mean, one thing MSU's done in the last handful of years is they've made stupid mistakes. They've gone three and out a lot. They've lost the turnover and time of possession battle. They could, the only way they can lose this game, the only way they can lose this game is if they do those things. If they play a, if they win the time of possession and turnover battle, Michigan State's not going to lose this game. But if they don't, they can still win this game, but the odds become a lot more even a lot quicker. So that's kind of my take on, on this game, uh, in general. Any thoughts? No, I'll add, I'll add one more question for you on the spot. You know, knowing that Art, um, Arthur Sikowski and, uh, is probably going to get the start, but Noah Vedrill, um, was, was named the OR quarterback starter. He's a grad transfer from Nebraska by way of UCF and has a 2017 national championship ring, I might add. Uh, how many quarterbacks from both teams do you anticipate seeing action in this game? Uh, I would say for Rutgers, it sounds like both these guys are going to play. I mean, they're listed as ORs on the depth chart, so I would be surprised if we if we don't get both of them. I mean, especially being the the first game of the year, um, these are typically the types of games when coaches, you know, typically they're non conference games, but coaches like to give uh, multiple quarterbacks some run, and obviously. Um, you know, Shiano's not sold on one or the other. So I would anticipate both of them getting, getting some chances. I don't know who starts or who finishes, but uh, I would expect to see each of them for a couple of drives. And then, I mean, for MSU, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, we're sitting here on Monday night of game week and we don't know who the starter is. I think it's very safe to presume that it's Rocky and Lombardi, but, uh, I, I would expect to see at least one of, I, I would only expect to see one other guy play. I don't know who it's going to be. I think that's the fairest thing to say. Um, at this point in time, you can say maybe it's Day, but maybe it's maybe it's Peyton Thorne. I mean, it, you know, as always, shout out to to Colton Pouncey, but he he does such great work at the Athletic. He wrote a really interesting article on uh, Peyton Thorne that. Um, you know, he's getting some really positive reviews within that locker room and does a lot of the things that you, when, when you don't have a surefire stud quarterback that you want a, call it a game manager type of guy to be able to do. He's got a level of familiarity with Jaden Reed, obviously, from a few years back in, in high school. And, um, you know, th- there is a potential for, for him getting some burn. I will be personally very, very surprised if it's only one MSU quarterback playing. I'd expect a second. I don't know who it's going to be, but I do think, uh, if it's not Theo Day, you, you might see a name get put into the transfer, uh, portal before too long. Fair take. So that takes us to the football season predictions, Austin. You know, you mentioned, uh, I think we both agree Rutgers is, is a must win, kind of goes without saying. Yeah. And a good, a good indicator of how the rest of the year could go, probably. Um, you know, following the Rutgers games we mentioned is a game at Michigan, um, then at Iowa, Indiana, at Maryland, Northwestern, Ohio State, at Penn State, and then a crossover game 
let's just say the crossover game is a 50-50 shot. How many wins are you anticipating this year? Oh, you know, it it hard to say. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think personally that obviously we're going to know a lot more after this week. I think if Mel Tucker could put together a four-win season this year, uh, Michigan State fans should be incredibly, incredibly optimistic about the future. Not to say that they shouldn't if he comes up short of that. However, um, that num- that's the number to me where I'm like, oh, wow, this, this is going to work. Uh, we should be very excited and, and, and extremely optimistic, and I think that's the number that gets recruits excited probably. Um, I, I will say that, you know, maybe – and just as a pragmatist, I look at this, I look at this schedule and I kind of batch games into three buckets. There's the definitely should wins, the 50-50s, and the pretty much surefire losses. I look at the surefire losses, uh, Ohio State and Penn State. I, I, doesn't matter at the, at the end of the year, those teams are going to have a lot to play for. They're just better teams than Michigan State right now. End of story. I'm personally going to dump Michigan into that bucket, even though in all likelihood, it's probably going to be more of a, a 50-50 type of game um, just because of who it is and when it is in the season. They're a more talented team. That's just their program's way ahead of Michigan State's right now. So that's three that I'm kind of writing off. That leaves five that are at least a 50-50 shot. Rutgers at Iowa, Indiana at Maryland, Northwestern. I think Michigan State should get at a minimum three of those games. Uh, just there's Big Ten talent on this team. There's really good coaching on this team. There's a level of familiarity that brand new coaches don't always have with their players on this team. Um, again, you're going to learn a lot this week against Rutgers. Uh, if Michigan State can run the ball, there's reason to think they could even steal a fourth one of those games. Uh, I, I think they're all winnable. I'm going to say between three and four right now, three and four wins. Um, but that's just because we've seen liter- literally uh, nothing to date. But um, that is all going to require one of two things happening. I mean, it's going to require either a running game being really sound or it's going to require a quarterback that can do more than just not screw up. It's going to require a quarterback that can make plays. And, and it, at this point, it's really hard to say uh, if msu has got that on the roster or not. So I'm going to say between three and four wins for the time being. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go firmly three. And and the reason and and if Mel um, is able to pull in a three, you know, pulls off a more than three wins season, then as I think you're right. You say considering this roster, that is a that is a really good sign that we made the right hire. If he had if this he has less than three wins, um, you know, inheriting a team that had back to back seven win seasons, um, and before that, you know. A 10 win season. There's, I don't care how many, um, much, you know, attrition or, or folks left and, and what he's inherited on the roster. That would be a, a DEFCON one bad news sign because, um, he, as we mentioned, he does have the opportunity to play teams that Michigan State walks on the field and is more talented than like Rutgers, mm-hmm. Northwestern. Um, you know, I think. Those are games where you walk on the field and are better. And then, as you mentioned, those 50-50 games of 
Maryland, Indiana, Iowa, you should feel pretty confident um, being able to hang with them with, with uh, capable coaching staff. So, um, yeah, I'm in your boat that Ohio State and Penn State seem uh, too far off. Uh, the the gap, talent gap is too wide. We saw it last year. I have no reason to believe that that gap has gotten any smaller since then. Um, and then as for the Michigan game, I do feel like there is a bit more uh, hope in that they are the least talented of the three right now. It is early in the season and they will, and they do have their full attention on a very um, strong week one opponent. Um, you would hope Michigan State does, has their eyes on the ball with Rutgers and not getting ahead of themselves because we said you lose that game, they probably don't win again this year. So uh, um, for me, um, I think, you know, we, we're on the same page as far as expectations. And then the crossover game, you know, we say it's 50-50, but, you know, as we mentioned, this is a team that lost to Illinois the last two times they played them. Yeah. You know, we, the Big Ten East is better than the Big Ten West, but where does Michigan State fit in that? You know, I'm not quite sure where they fit in the fold there. So um, I'm going to go with a three and six season. And as Austin, you keep reminding me, this is the season where you get to watch people grow up and anything better than that uh, expectations that we've, we've laid out is, is gravy, you know? So it's I'm excited. Yeah. It's fun. I'll officially go on the record and say four, uh, maybe not all in the regular season, you know, potentially some of those are in, uh, that crossover game, but I'm going to, I'm going to firmly say four. I think Mel's got a, an up, an upset up his sleeve and, uh, you know, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm doing this to myself. Like I, I'm fully aware of, of what I'm doing to myself, but, um, I, I will agree with you. I think even if he only wins three games, like you said, you know, we kind of like, compartmentalize you know what 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 would be good what would be bad and it's so hard to know like just given everything that's going on this season but I I think anything anything less than three wins to your point would be a legitimate disappointment because that means you lost to I mean that means you could have potentially only beaten Northwest Northwestern and Rutgers means you lost to Maryland means you lost every toss-up game uh and and that's not um Simply not something Michigan State's really used to doing, even in your seven-win season. So uh, it's, uh, you know, a three-win season. I think everybody comes out maybe not satisfied, but you're, you're okay with it. Four wins, I think, legitimate reason for for you know feeling like, okay, that was that was pretty good. And then uh, anything anything above that, you know, that would be uh, un- unbelievable. I almost don't want that to happen because <laughs> my expectations get a little too high. <laughs> hey, we're not going to say no to wins, Austin. So. That's a fact. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the listeners with a positive note. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a best case scenario for this season. MSU plays uh, Rutgers, Michigan, and Iowa to start, and you go two and one. So Mel steals yep. one. Okay, and he goes Indiana at Maryland Northwestern. Sweep them. Get three. Ooh. You're five and one. You've won every toss up, and you snuck one. Now you're going to go play uh, Ohio State and Penn State. No matter how positive I feel, I don't feel good about those. You're five. Nope. <laughs> you're five and three headed into the t- into the crossover. Hey, do what you will with that. You know. Yeah, and then you get you got the chance to go six and three, and you got a bowl game. I mean, there's 
yeah, there's, there could be something there. So I'm, I'm with you. I think it's uh, an exciting, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the product on the field. I mean, it's, it, there's so many unknowns, so many questions that I think we're just all ready to have a few answered and watch some, watch some MSU football. So, it's uh, pretty much all I got for you, John. That was a long episode. I'm, I'm proud of us. Hey man. Stamina. We're ready to do this. We're, we're, season's upon us. We got to be in mid season four early. Um, looking forward to this Saturday, sharing some early morning beers with you guys on Twitter. Um, maybe the hardest stuff if things don't go our way or if things are going our way. Who knows? Yeah, let's just plan on it. <laughs> All right. I'm good, Austin. Let's, uh. All right, guys. Make- this has been a fun one. Um, thanks as always for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. Go green. We'll catch you guys next week. See ya.